Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day and for the chance to hear your word proclaimed in Scripture. Almighty God, give us ears to hear and hearts to take in what you have for us this day. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. I've shared with you before about a time when I was working at a summer camp after high school and all through college. We had several weeks of summer camp programming for second, through, uh, second grade through high school age, and then also one week with developmentally disabled adult campers. The seven summers I spent working at camp were among the most wonderful times of my life. Part of the wonder of it was that when we crossed over the bridge that, uh, at the entrance into the camp and entered onto the grounds of the camp, it was as though the world somehow became a little bit smaller. But also, at the same time, it felt much larger. It was somehow easier to understand your place in the world, while at the same time, it felt as though you were safe from all the pressures of the world. It also seemed that faith came naturally, almost as though the soaring trees and the laughing children and the worshipful singing around a campfire and the hearing of God's word in scripture and in stories told late at night, well after you should be asleep, it was, it was almost as though God was more actively moving in the midst of all those ordinary things. But really, I think it, it wasn't that God was different in that place. It was our eyes. We were tuned to more clearly see God around us. We had expectant eyes. And with the removal of certain distractions and, and in a place where we felt safe, it was though the impediments to seeing God's creative work all around us simply fell away. On Sunday mornings, we had a staff meeting for the 80 or so college-age summer staff, and our director, Sheila, would ask us a question. I've shared this with you before. Where have you seen God this week? It was a simple and straightforward question. But more importantly, it was one we knew was coming. We knew she'd ask it. And I think right now in our world today, we need to hear that question again. In the midst of all the tumult in our lives, in the midst of the loss and the confusion, and even the strange celebrations that feel muted and uneasy, in the, in the midst of confusing conversations about race and news stories that are filled with anger and anguish, in the midst of masks and distance, in the midst of exhaustion from doing too much, or that that strange, strange exhaustion that comes from having nothing to do. In the midst of our how long questions and in the midst of our wandering imaginations that want to pretend that we'll all, it will all just go away, in the, in the midst of our time today, our present time, it is so, so easy for us to get overwhelmed with all of the noises that are around us. It's easy to get lost and it's easy to lose our ability to see God. It's easy to lose our ability to see God's creative work going on all around us. Over the past five weeks and concluding this morning, we've been exploring God's creativity in the book of Genesis. In each of these five weeks, God plays a very visible role. I wonder if you've noticed this. I mentioned it last week specifically when I talked about Abraham's belief in God being something that could almost be taken for granted. 
You see, it's hard not to believe when you're directly interacting with God. God's role throughout these stories from Genesis, we see God's creative dance with humanity. And it was apparent in the creation story. It was present throughout the journeys of Abraham and Sarah and even the harrowing journey of Hagar and Ishmael. God was present and talking to Abraham even, leading up to Abraham's walk up the mountain to sacrifice Isaac. And of course, God intervened both visibly and audibly at that horrible moment where Abraham was about to act. God's creativity has been at work in these texts for sure. But this morning's text is perhaps the most creative. I wonder if you noticed that God doesn't really appear directly in this text. If this text were to be dramatically presented, God wouldn't have any lines. God would be off stage. And isn't that often how our lives are? God doesn't have any lines. God doesn't have any lines, and it seems to us that God is off stage or maybe not even at the theater. In the midst of crisis and in the middle of our challenges, even more so, it seems that God is nowhere to be found. This morning's text, though, it more closely represents our lives today and how we see and experience God today. The earlier texts from Genesis, they do paint a very different picture of God, right? God is intermingling with humanity in a very obvious and apparent way. God is talking with people. God is even sometimes talking and interacting with people when they don't realize it. Like Abraham and Sarah entertaining and extending hospitality to to strangers who are then revealed to them as God. Place next to one another. Our text from the first several weeks of this series and our text this morning, and even then against our own lives, it looks like God has been changing throughout time. The way that God interacts has been changing. In fact, as we look through scripture, this looks to be the case as well. And the change isn't just in these texts. As we look throughout the Bible, We see and hear God talking, like he has in Genesis, with other people. Especially, we see this extensively with Moses, right? God, it seems, though, has then gone silent. But there's some tension here, too, biblically. As this biblical portrayal of God seems to change. All we need to do is look at two psalms side by side to see this tension. In Psalm 13, the psalmist feels separated from God. Here are the words. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. But then, in Psalm 139, there's this very different understanding of God. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. 
you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. In our Presbyterian theology, we affirm, as stated in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, that God is a spirit whose being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth are infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Now, theologians have wrestled with this concept of God's immutability, God's unchanging nature. And I can't present all of the background on this in one sermon. But this morning's text, especially when we consider it as part of the narrative of Abraham's life and the narrative of God as a creator who continues to create, This morning's text helps us see that God's characteristics that were so dramatically clearly presented in those other stories are present here too. You just have to look a little closer. You see, God hasn't changed, but our human understanding of God has been and continues to change. When we pick up the story of Abraham this morning, God's promise to Abraham that Abraham and Sarah will be ancestors to many descendants, it it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Even after all that has happened to reach this point, remember, they have Isaac when they're both quite advanced in age, and then now Isaac still hasn't gotten married, and he's 40 years old. Apparently that's when you give up. Remember that it was decades before Abraham and Sarah had Isaac. Sarah has now died, and the only child she bore has no children. It seems that God's promise might not happen. But it's Abraham who places trust in God and in one of his servants, and the servant who makes an oath to Abraham and to God that the servant will find a wife for Isaac. Abraham places his trust in God, but he also places his trust in the servant, and he trusts that his servant will be guided by God and seek God's help. This then becomes a creative dance, again, between humanity and God. The servant is faithful and prays to God, basically saying, help me out here. I've got a plan, a way that God can show me how to do what Abraham asked me to do. So he puts it out in front of God, and God does what the servant asks. But then we've got this next step in the dance, in this love story, because something within Rebecca makes her choose to go with the servant to meet a man she doesn't know. There's an important piece here. Did you notice that Rebecca was never told to go with the servant? Her family asks her, will you go with this man? And she agrees to go. She agrees to leave her family and her home and to go somewhere unknown to her. Sounds a little familiar, right? Like Abraham and Sarah. But this time, we don't know. It isn't obvious. It isn't spoken. We don't know why or how she's motivated to take this step. Sure, we can guess. We can imagine the motivations. But All we know is that she goes, and she and Isaac meet one another, and she comforts him in the loss of his mother, and Isaac 
and Rebecca fall in love. This shouldn't be a strange point. It shouldn't even sound strange to us, but it is a little bit funny because in Old Testament stories of marriages and especially blind marriages, we don't often see love like this characterized, but in, in this text, there's something different. There's a tenderness of Rebecca comforting Isaac after his mother has died, and our text specifically saying that Isaac loved Rebecca. God's creativity is at work throughout this love story, this story of Abraham's love for God and for his servant and the servant's willingness and faithfulness and his passionate prayer to God. God's creativity is at work in Rebecca's decision to go into the unknown, and it's in God's bringing someone to love Isaac in the midst of his loneliness and his sorrow. God is indeed working, albeit silently, in all that is happening here. Where have you seen God? You could laugh at me when I ask this question, particularly if you're looking for God to appear in the way that our Bible says that God appeared most often to Abraham and to Moses and to others. But where have you seen God when you're looking for God in the way God appears in our text this morning? Where has God been working within the circumstances of your day, within the ordinary, within your struggles, within your hopes? I want to invite you to cross over that bridge with me. You know, the bridge that took me and countless others onto the grounds of the camp where it was somehow easier to see and experience God. As much as I will always love that camp and that place, our lives need to be about transforming our environment wherever we are into spaces and places where we are more tuned to see God's creative work in our lives. Tuned and ready to see God in our present. But also, as we reflect back on our days and weeks, where we might not have felt God in the moment, but where God was present, and even doing wonderful work, like the God of creation, and the God who visited Abraham and Sarah in their desert tent, and the God who provides, and the God who brought love and comfort in the midst of loneliness and sorrow. Friends, this is the God we follow. And as humanity, we've been trying to understand God since our beginning. But even as theologians have quibbled over who God is, God remains with us always and ready for us to see God in our midst. This is the invitation to the Christian life, a life of contemplating not just how we respond to God, but also how God is with us. Tuning ourselves to see, hear, and experience God isn't easy especially once we cross the bridge the other direction and return to all that seems to distract us from God. In our text this morning, though, we see people who seem to know God, 
people who have learned about and talked about God. We see prayer, the passionate and clear prayer of the servant, and we see a willingness to be vulnerable with others. In Abraham's covenant with his servant and in Rebekah and Isaac and their interactions, we, with, we see these three elements, learning about God, and we do this through our scripture, through worship, through talking about God. And then second, through our prayer life, through developing a prayer life that is honest and sincere and regular. And then also through vulnerability with others, through willingness to be on the journey with others, to trust others, sharing of ourselves and taking the risk to acknowledge before other people the things we feel more comfortable keeping to ourselves. It is then with these three, knowing God, prayer, and vulnerability, that we begin to be more tuned to seeing the creative God at work in our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.